Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Can I encourage you? The more often you're in the Bible, the more often you're in God's Word, the more often you read it, heed it, and apply it in your life, it can become like that best friend. Some of us have a hard time applying the things that we read because if, on, if we're honest with yourself, this is a random person to your world, not a best friend. And I'm so proud of you today. It's, it's, it's hard to fight through all the things that we have to fight through in order to be in church. But can I tell you how important God's word is? Look what Hebrews 4 says. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's this, that's this word. That's God's word, what it does for us. And you may be saying, Pastor Don, I thought this was a series on Peter. You spent all last week getting us encouraged and, and ready to hear about the gospel according to Peter. And uh, what, is, what does all this have to do with Peter? Let me show you a passage about God's word that Peter probably grew up reading, maybe even likely memorized this. It's obviously in a different language than he would have read originally. Look at Psalms 119. Truth's shining light guides me in my choices and decisions. The revelation of your word makes my pathway clear. To live my life by your righteous rules has been my holy and lifelong commitment. I'm bruised and broken, overwhelmed by it all. Breathe life into me again by your living word. Everything you speak to me is like joyous treasure, filling my life with gladness. I have determined in my heart to obey whatever you say, fully and forever. Lord, strengthen my inner being by the promises of your word so that I may live faithful and unashamed of you. This word of God that we're about to read, that we're about to dig into, that we're about to study and spend some time in, has the ability to make your pathways clear. It has the ability to breathe life into the broken and bruised areas that you have. It can strengthen even the weakest areas of your life. And I'm so glad you're in church today. Thank you for making being in church a priority for you and your family. This is a place where God's word is not only spoken, but it's cherished, it's valued, it's revered, and it's obeyed. And if you want to have that kind of relationship that I'm talking about, I encourage you every day, don't miss an opportunity. Every day, every day. It's like a muscle. You get, you get into it. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it shows us exactly who we are, that it can be that best friend, that knows the kind of people we want to be, that can see the differences between who we are and who we aspire to become. I thank you for your word today. I pray that it would speak to us. I pray that you would speak through me as I share the things that you've laid on my heart that come straight from your word. And we give you the glory and the honor. I pray you'd empower us to obey the things that we read today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Y'all ready to dig in? We started a new series last week called According 
to Peter. We spent a good bit of time talking about Peter and his life. I wanted to make sure that before I talked about the content that Peter brings to the church, I wanted to unpack a little bit of his character. And so we did that last week. Remember, the big thought I had here was if God can use Peter, then he can use me. I can relate. And I heard from a lot of people throughout the week that said, man, I didn't know that about Peter. I'm glad you said it in that way. It really helped me. And I think now that we understand the character, it's time to get into the content of Peter. Show of hands real quick. Tell me your personality. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, do you want the good news or the bad news? Yeah, you've heard it, right? Okay. Show of hands. How many of you are the give me the good news first kind of people? Not as many as I thought. All right, pessimists. How many of you that give me the bad news first so that I can walk away feeling good about myself <laughs> in the middle of this? Um, truth is, Peter doesn't give us a choice. Uh, he gives us the good news first, and then he leaves us um, something that we can hold on to as things get tough. I want you to do me a favor. Look at your neighbor and say, the good news is, you've been born again. Now look to your other neighbor, the one that you ignore all the time when pastor tells you to look to your neighbor. Look to the other one and say, the bad news is, you're going to need it. How many of you know life this side of heaven is hard? It's hard. And your salvation is so much more than just securing an eternity or a destination. It's about securing a vehicle that will allow you to navigate life until you reach the end of it. Summer before last, Kayla and I rented an RV, and we took the Normlets, all five of our crew, and uh, we, we, we went on a road trip to the Grand Canyon, and it took us a long time to get there, and I think, I think we, we stayed in the RV longer than we stayed at the Grand Canyon um, in the middle, but the vacation wasn't won just by renting the RV. You do realize that, right? Just because just we acquired it, this vehicle while we were waiting to get to our destination, became the place that we lived, the place that we slept, the place that we ate, the place that we did, all the other things that while we waited till we got there, it's important for you to understand that while you live here on this earth, if you're born again, this is not your home. There's a destination that's for you. But while you're here, this will be the place that you eat, sleep, drink, and live and so making sure that we understand salvation, when Peter's talking about it, he's not just talking about the destination, he's talking about the journey as well. Peter's a good tour guide, and he's telling us what we'll need as we navigate this Christian life. And here's the spoiler alert. I'll, I'll give you the spoiler alert, and then I'll show you how he gets there. This, I'm going to put it up on the screen. This is, this is my summary. We'll call this the PDBA version. This is the Pastor Don's best attempt at how I would summarize 1 Peter for you. Let's listen to this. It says, you've been given a new birth and a new inheritance, and as a result of your new birth, you don't belong in this world anymore. But you're going to have to live in this world until you reach your new inheritance. Your new birth has called you to live in a holiness in a world that isn't holy, and the world doesn't value and appreciate your new identity. So you're going to have to face some trials, some difficulties, and some hardships. But don't worry, not only has your new birth secured your inheritance, it has also equipped you to navigate the difficult trials you're going to face 
and it will equip you to live with the holiness necessary to bring praise and glory to God. Let's just end in prayer right there and we can go, we can go home. Reading this letter, 1 Peter, is like hearing Peter say, if I can get you to fully understand why you were saved, what you were saved to, then you'll be able to endure what is coming. Here's how we're going to approach 1 Peter chapter 1 today. Here's how we're going to unpack it. Looks like this. We're going to talk about how I'm born again, what I'm born again into, and why I have to live here until I reach there. And I know some English teachers in the room. That's not good English. But if I do my job, it's going to make for great preaching. So let's, let's dig in. Number one, how I'm born again. We're going straight from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. This is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Hold on just a second. Elect, what is he talking about? When you see the word elect in your New Testament, when you read it, you might as well think chosen. That's what the word means, to those who are chosen. And what are exiles? Exiles are people who are living in one place that's not their home. Something's happened. There's a, there's a difference. They can no longer live where home used to be or where home is going to be. They have to live somewhere different. So what he's saying is these are chosen people who are living somewhere that isn't their home. Doesn't that relate? Doesn't that relate? I'm a chosen person. How many of you know this world is not my home? This world is not my home. He talks about the dispersion. This Greek word diaspora is basically a name given to the Jews who were dispersed from their homes as a result of the Babylonian captivity. And when he says it in this way, he's reminding Christians, kind of a play on words here, that the home that you live in is not your final home. I'm going to put it together for you. Those of you that have been chosen by God that are having to live somewhere else, here's the ones that I'm talking Two, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And those are basically instructions on who he wanted this letter to get to. They couldn't send the email and everybody on the distribution list got their own copy, right? He wrote this one letter and it went to one place and they saw, oh, well, it's going to this place too. I need to make sure I get it there and there. And so all of these places were the original people that Peter wanted to send this letter to. And the fact that it's in our Bibles tells us it's for us as well. Now this next sentence, verse 2, has profound theological truth about how we're born again. Look at this. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now for the theology buffs that are here in the room, here's one of the verses that references the Trinity Three unique but separate persons of the Godhead and the role that each of them play in our salvation. Now, I'm not going to camp here very long, but if Peter takes the time to tell us about this, I think, it's time, I think we need to take the time to fully understand it. God the Father has chosen and purposed the saving work, those that he foreknows. In other words, the Greek would say this is a pre-knowing, not a predetermining. He knows the choice before it is made. We talked last week about God knowing past, present, and future simultaneously. Here's an example of that. But where God has chosen and purposed the saving work, the Son accomplished the work of salvation by His blood, and the Spirit applies the saving work of Jesus to the sinner. Pastor Warren Wiersbe 
says it this way, a little longer quote, but it'll make sense. He said, we have been chosen by the Father, purchased by the Son, and set apart by the Spirit. It takes all three if there's to be a true experience of salvation. Look at this. As far as God the Father is concerned, I was saved when he chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. And as for the Son is concerned, I was saved when he died for me on the cross. But as far as the Spirit is concerned, I was saved one night in May 1945 when I heard the gospel and received Christ. Then it all came together, but it took all three persons of the Godhead to bring me to salvation. If we separate these ministries, we will either deny divine sovereignty or human responsibility, and that would lead to heresy. How many of you understand what Peter's trying to tell you just a little bit? All three parts of the Godhead made a way, had a place in your salvation. That's our number one today, how I'm born again. God choosing, Jesus paying for it, and the Holy Spirit applying it to my life. Here's number two, what I'm born again into. Let's look at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I didn't cause it. You didn't cause it. God caused it. And this ties really well into Paul's teaching in Ephesians where he explains that salvation is a gift of God, not of works that any of us could boast. And here's what he says we're saved into. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who? Who's he talking about? You. Who by God's power, not your own strength, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And I think we've lost a little bit of this understanding in our American culture today. Most of us in the room here grew up believing and being told that you can be anything that you want to be. You can do anything that you want to do. You are capable of anything. That's the American culture. That's the American way. You can do it. The problem is, in the vast majority of cultures in the history of the world, and especially in this biblical culture, you can only be what you're born into. You can only be what you're born into. Your wealth, your status, your position, they're all determined and set in stone at birth. And I think that's why Joseph's story in the Bible is so powerful. Because you couldn't just go from being a slave to being number two over the entire kingdom. It didn't happen. It's, it's profound. You don't go from slavery to leadership. I think that's why David's life, when we read scripture, is so powerful and so profound. You don't go from being a shepherd boy to being a king. These things don't happen. It, it's mind-blowing in the middle of this. The prodigal son is revolutionary of a story. Number one, most of the people didn't even have an inheritance like that. Then to be so wealthy and so lavish that you could squander it all and still walk right back into the favor of your father, if you weren't born into it, it didn't happen for you. Matter of fact, only those born to priests in our Bibles were the ones who get to go into God's presence. The entire Jewish culture itself was based not on just who you were born to, but even the birth order determined your inheritance. And I think that's why Jesus uses the phrase born again when he's talking about salvation. Look at this. The status that you were born into no longer matters when Jesus comes into your life, doesn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, the status doesn't matter anymore. The poverty that you were born into no longer applies because you've been given a brand new wealth. You've been born again. No longer does your family history determine your access to God. You get access to God on the basis of your relationship with Jesus. Your birth order doesn't matter anymore. All who were born in Christ are given an inheritance. And it's not just a monetary inheritance. Normally, when we think about inheritance, what are we thinking about? The amount of money, maybe the property, maybe one day daddy will leave me the camp. You know, those, those, those kind of things. Statistics show that 70%, look at this, this is crazy. 70% of inherited wealth is lost by the very next generation. Some of you are thinking about your children and the will um, in the middle of this. 90% is lost by the second generation. Do you know that 68 millennials, how many millennials in the room? Let me see your hands. Look up at me real close. 68% of you believe that you're going to get an inheritance from your parents. 68%. Millennials, let me help you. You need a job. The truth is half of that 68 is actually going to get an inheritance um, from your parents. I hate to bust your bubble, but I'm your pastor and I love you. And I want to see you gainfully employed for the rest of your life. But not so this inheritance that Peter talks about. Not so this inheritance that we've received in Christ. It's imperishable. What does that mean? Put the verse back up there. It's imperishable. It's going to last forever. How many of you are grateful you can't spend it all? You cannot spend it all. It's undefiled. It's, pre, it's, it's pure. It's free from sin and contamination. There's no baggage or family drama tied to this kind of inheritance. And it's unfading. Just as strong at the end as it was in the beginning. It's not subject to bank rates, bank closures, or the stock markets. Can I get an amen from somebody who's looking forward to that type of inheritance? And where is that inheritance being kept for you, Peter tells us? In heaven. But not just kept. The word of God says that it's being guarded for you. It's being guarded for you. There's just one problem, though. Yes, you can be born again. Yes, you can be born into the inheritance, that inheritance that we're talking about. But no, you can't get there right away. Here's our third point today. How I'm, bo how I'm born again, what I'm born again into, and number three, why I have to live here until I reach there. Oh, man, if it were just that easy. God the Father could ordain our salvation. Jesus pays for our sins on the cross. The Holy Spirit brings to life what's spiritually dead inside of us. We bow our heads. We acknowledge our sin before God. We repent. We surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, and poof, we wake up in heaven. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, what, Pastor John, we can't just go there right now. Why, why, why do we have to pick all those people back up out of the water? We could have just left them down there, you know? You, <laughs> You believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. In the name of Jesus, I baptize you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're going to be in heaven <laughs> soon as this. Yeah. We don't do that, do we? We don't, we don't do that. Some of you are grateful, right? Monique's over here going, please let Dominic come out of the water. I need him in, in my life. Yeah. Yeah. There's a purpose for us here on the earth it's not just a destination there's an rv we got to get into that we got to live in and it's a little uncomfortable and it's a little cramped and it's not how we would do it if we chose but we know we're headed to the grand canyon so we endure the road trip 
and we endure the screaming toddlers, and we endure, sorry, that's me, sorry, not, not, not y'all. Peter gives us some insight into the, into the why we have to live here until we get here. How do you think those people felt? How did you feel when you watched those water baptisms happen today? Oh, you got excited, didn't you? I'm on the front, I know most of those stories, and I'm on the front row going, God, it's so amazing. It's incredible. Wow. But do you know who was more excited and more blown away than I was? The people that know them, the people in their family that showed up today to watch them. They, what were they saying in the middle of this? Saying, Glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. Or in our American translation, woohoo. That's how, that's how we say that in, 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 in southern Louisiana. We say, woohoo. When we get to see Christ, what Christ has done in the life of a person, what does it result in? Praise and glory and honor to God. That's why we're so fired up. That's why you can't help but watch God do something publicly in the life of somebody else. It, it draws something out of you, and you like, man, God, thank you. When we get a front row seat to a believer's hardship, and we watch them come out victorious through Christ. We've got people who lead freedom small groups every single semester. Why? Because they can't help but watch God bring people from hurts, habits, and hangups into a place of freedom. And something comes out of them that they don't get any other way in any other place. It drives them to say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise and glory to God. It results in praise and glory and honor to God when we watch that happen in somebody's life. When we overcome our own hurts, habits, and hang-ups through the power of the Spirit that God ordained and that Christ paid for, it results in praise and glory and honor to God. How many of you got to a point one day where you realized, man, I haven't done that in a long time? Wow. The next thing out of your mouth, thank you, Jesus. Praise God that that's not who I am. I know I still got a ways to go, but I am not that person that you saved and rescued and redeemed. When you have that kind of front row into somebody's life, something comes out of you, and it's praise and honor and glory to God. Look what 1 Peter says in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, look at this, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we face persecution and hardship in this life, because we don't belong here anymore, and this world is not our home, but when we do it graciously, when we do it in a godly manner, with love and compassion for those around us, when we are hated and bashed and ridiculed because we choose to follow Jesus, when we lose promotions and friends and opportunities for success in this world because we choose not to compromise our character or our integrity, what does Scripture tell us happens? It results in praise and glory and honor to God. And the simplest way I know to explain what I think Peter is trying to say about why we have to live here until we reach there is this. It is for his glory. It's for his glory. What do you mean, Pastor Don? Listen, there's still praise to be brought to God as a result of my life. There is still honor to bestow on him through my life obedience. There's still glory 
to give to God by others who were influenced by the way that I live. And I believe with all my heart, church, that there is breath in my lungs today because there's still more praise to be given. There's still opportunity for me to obey because there's glory yet to be given to God. There's still people for me to influence in this life because there's still honor that needs to be brought into God. And the very second there is no more praise, there is no more honor, there is no more glory to be given to God through this body, I believe I'm going to breathe my last breath and walk right into that inheritance that he's been guarding and keeping for me for my entire life. So I think Peter would try to encourage you. He would try to say, listen, I'm talking to you Christians in the room. You've been chosen by God. You're having to live somewhere that you're not meant to live, and it's going to be tough. But while you do, if you do it in a way that's godly, if you do it in a way that honors him, there will be praise and glory and honor that is given to God when Jesus comes back. And I think that's important for us to realize it's the hope that I have. It's how I endure. It's what I, why I do what I do. Look at the message translation. I love this. Same verses we just read. But this is a message paraphrase. It says, I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggra aggravation in the meantime. How many of you work with aggravation? Yeah, you love Sunday, but Monday you're going to go meet him again. And uh, I want you when, you, when you walk up to him, I want you to think about aggravation and remember this verse. This is what Peter says about it. I know you have to put up with him in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proven genuine. And when Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that will have on display as evidence of his victory. The very fact that you haven't killed that aggravation you work with on Monday should show you God's got a plan. Let's just walk it out, cramped as we are in this RV, and let's get to the destination that God has for us. Are y'all with me today? You following what I'm talking about? It's a hope. It's a hope. It's the kind of hope that isn't dead. It's living, a living hope. What do you mean, Pastor Don? All the way back at the beginning, I told you, Peter started with the good news, and then he ended with the bad news. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, look at this, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what I want you to understand today. Because God's word is living, because Christ is living, then I know my hope in him is living as well. My hope is living. Now, what do we know about things that live? Any of you got a green thumb? Spring season, you get your flower beds up and going. How many of you are like me and you struggle a little bit? It's not quite brown thumb, but it's not quite green thumb. You're kind of in the middle. Yeah. Any, any parents or children here? Yeah. Yeah, they're alive. They keep, they keep waking up every day, and I'm grateful for it. I am. But I love me some nap time. I, I love me some nap time. Any pets? Any animals that you're responsible for that are living? Yeah. What, is, what does every living thing require? Care, food, attention. It's got to be tended to. Some of us don't have a living hope because we've stopped tending to it. 
We've stopped caring for it. Peter says you were born into a living hope. We put you under the water and we brought you back up because God's got a plan for you. God's got something he wants you to do. Something he's put specifically in this world for you to do. They may be named aggravation on Monday morning, but God wants to use you to show them what it's like to live in this world. Though you don't fit, though it's cramped, he wants to use you to bring about some praise and some honor and some glory to God. And if you'll do that, if you'll walk through this world thinking, man, I'm so aggravated that dude. Jesus, he better see how I ain't killed him yet. God, I love these kids and I'm thankful for them. But you better get the glory in this one. Because I'll make another just like him, right? It's, it's this idea that I've got something worth holding on to. And if I'll tend it right, if I'll keep it right, it'll serve me. If I took care of that RV that I have to live in, it'll get me to my destination. It'll provide for me in a way it's uncomfortable. I don't like it. I'd rather be there by now. But there must be a reason I'm still here because there's breath in my lungs. So what amount of praise, what amount of glory, what amount of honor is still let to be given and shown to God? When Jesus comes back, I want God to be glorified by this life, don't you? Peter knows hope is dead until we're born again. And there's only one way to have this kind of living hope. Only one way that you get to heaven. You must be born again. You must be born again. Our last two verses of the day show us what it looks like when we've trusted in Jesus. When we're born again and abide with this living hope. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Tell me if this doesn't describe some of the people you saw in the room here earlier today. You love him passionately. Although you did not see him, but though believing in him, you are saturated with an ecstatic joy, indescribably sublime and immersed in glory, for you are reaping. That's present tense, y'all. You are reaping. You're in the process of getting. You're in the process of, of having the harvest of your faith. The full salvation promised you your soul's victory. Peter knows a little bit about what it's like to live in a world where he doesn't fit. But he knows what it's like to know a word of God that's living. To know a Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Son of God that's living. And as a result of that, the hope that Peter had in his life it kept him doing what he's doing. To finish strong, the faith that it takes to keep going till the end is living as well. And I want to invite you today to bow your heads. Close your eyes. God's word is living. Hebrews 4 tells us that it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It has a way of showing us where we really are. James 1 tells us it's like a mirror. It'll show us our real selves. Psalms 119 tells us that the revelation of the word makes my pathway clear. God's word is living. Jesus Christ is living. The Gospels tell us that Christ is risen from the dead. Romans tells us that he was raised to life and is seated at the right hand of the Father and is interceding for us right now. Do you know Jesus is praying for you? Because God's word is living, because Jesus Christ is living, you can have a hope 
that is living, a determination to keep going, a reason to exist in this world, and as First Peter tells us, an ecstatic joy, indescribably sublime and immersed in glory. The Peter's clear. You must be born into this living hope. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus asks, how can a man be born again? Does he go back into his mother's womb? And Jesus replied, that which is of the flesh is of the flesh, and that which is of the spirit is of the spirit. Don't marvel again that I said you must be born again. Here's what he's talking about. There's a birth that every single one of us experience in life. When a pregnant woman gets the indication that it's time to deliver, that water breaks. She's, in essence, we are born of water. But Jesus says there's a birth that happens that's born of the Spirit. It's that work that the Spirit does inside of your life. It opens you up. It breathes life into dead spiritual parts of you. And you may be walking in here for the first time today or maybe be walking in here for the 10th or the 12th or the 60th. You may have lost count. But if you're in a service like this and some dead part of you comes to life, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's breathing new life into your life. Have you been born again? It happens only once. The Father has provided for it. The Son has paid for it. Has the Holy Spirit set you apart and applied Jesus' work of salvation to your life? Pastor Don, how do I know if the Holy Spirit has done this in my life? I would tell you it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit. If you can admit that you're a sinner, if you can admit your sin, recognize it for what it is, See it as the reason why you've been separated from a righteous and a holy and a loving God. If you're saying, Pastor Don, I can see how my sin has kept me from experiencing what God has for me. I would tell you that's A, admit. Next, I would tell you B, believe. If you can believe that God sent his son Jesus to live the life that you couldn't live, to pay a debt you couldn't pay, and he did so willingly so that you could be restored to the Father. Word of God tells us that no man can come to the Father except through Jesus. And if you're here today and you say, I admit my sin and I can believe, I believe that Jesus died just for me, then I would tell you, see, confess. Confess him as Lord and Savior. The Savior part's easy when life is hard and you're struggling. I need a Savior. But it's the Lord part that'll make the difference in your life. Is his way better than your way? Most of us got where we are because we were doing it our way. And you're empty, and you're broken, and you're bruised. Peter would tell you there's a better way, and if you can admit that you're a sinner and separated from God, if you can believe that God, because he loves you, sent his son Jesus to die for you, and if you can confess him as Lord and Savior, I got news for you, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I've never been born again, I may have sat in a service just like this before and I've never acknowledged what I believe God is doing in my life and I see him and I see my relationship differently today. Will you pray for me? Can I be born again today? Every head is still bowed and every eye is still closed. Nobody's looking around, but I want to know who God is working on today, who the Holy Spirit has brought to spiritual life. I want to lead you in a prayer and I want to know who I'm praying with, so I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right where you're seated. Right there, go ahead, where you're at, raise your hand. If you've been born again today and you'd like me to pray with you I'm looking around looking for those hands to be raised thank you I see your hand thank you I see your hand up in the balcony 
Thank you. I see your hand. Those of you that raised your hand, you can put them down. One more time before I pray. Pastor Don, I didn't raise my hand earlier, but I want to be included with those that you pray with. Raise your hand right now. Thank you, I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you, I see your hand up in the back. Thank you, I see your hand. Church, I'm going to invite us all to pray. Those of you that raise your hand, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. God ordained it, Jesus paid for it, and the Holy Spirit has applied it to your life. But this prayer will acknowledge what God has done. Those of you that raise your hand, I want you to pray this with me, and I'm going to invite everybody else to pray this prayer with me, indicative of the fact that nobody walks through Christianity alone. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God, and I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate with those who are born again today? Can I just tell you, I am so proud of you. I am so proud that you would have let God lead you not just to church, but to a family. The Bible tells us that he places the lonely in families. And if you're here today and you don't know anybody else, I want to invite you. That blue Get Connected card that was talked about right in front of you, there's a box on there that says, I have decided. Those of you that were born again today, check that box. Let us know. Nobody's going to hunt you down. We're not going to come show up at your house. But I do want to reach out to you and let you know all the ways that I think our church can be a blessing to you. Did you enjoy your time in service today? Yeah. Do me a favor, stand to your feet. I want to bless us. Just a quick reminder, if you need prayer, there's a red prayer card in the pew back behind you. Grab that card, fill it out. Every Monday night at 6 o'clock, this room is full of people who pray over every single need by name. Matter of fact, you could join us if you wanted to know how you could grow in prayer, whether you've been born again for two minutes or 20 years. Monday night at 6 o'clock would be the best opportunity I have to help you grow in your prayer life. It's easy. We're going to start at 6. I'll walk you through the entire time, and we're going to end at 7 p.m. sharp because I know you got family and kids to get back to. I want to remind you today is intro to serve. Those of you that are saying, Pastor Don, my next step is to serve, is to be a part of something bigger than myself. We're going to dismiss out after service to our multi-purpose room. Many of you know that that's your step and you're prepared to be there. But if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Don, I'd like to be more apart. I'd like to see what that would look like for me to get plugged in to a body, to a place, to a church like this. I want to ask you to join us as well. Let me pray a blessing over you as we dismiss. I pray that you live holy, that you'd be led by the Spirit. I pray that you'd be in the Word and in prayer every single day. I pray you'd be fearless taking the gospel to your community that your life would be marked by obedience and that you'd stay on mission making disciples. And as your pastor today, I bless you in the name of the Father, His Son Jesus, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit. If you receive that today, say, I receive it. Go in His grace. I'll be in the guest suite. I would love to meet you. Have a great week.